Our scripture lesson this evening is taken from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. First from the Old Testament, Psalm 96 on page 687 in the Pew Bible, page 687, Psalm 96, which calls upon God's people to make his glory known among the nations. Psalm 96. O sing to the Lord a new psalm. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honesty, honor, and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the, glory, give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad, let the sea roar in all its fullness, let the field be joyful in all that is in it, and all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with truth. And then reading from the New Testament, from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4 and reading through verse 12. Peter chapter 2, verse 4, page 1391. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but, now, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see by your good works, that, the, that may by your good works, which, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, I would 
draw your attention to the Heidelberg Catechism uh, on uh, Lord's Day 47 concerning the uh, first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Day 47. What does the first petition mean? Hallowed be your name means help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think and say and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Beloved of the Lord, we come to consider the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be your name. Uh, it's a matter of priority in prayer. When Jesus commanded his disciples, taught his disciples to pray, he said, when you pray, pray this way, and the first thing that you're to pray about is the hallowing of God's name. Now, in conjunction with that Petition, I want to draw your attention to the words of Peter in the text that I read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, that you now are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, night, marvelous light. Kingdom of priests. Peter is borrowing language there from the Old Testament particularly from Exodus chapter 19, where God has the Israelites encamped around the base of Mount Sinai. He's about to give them the Ten Commandments in the next chapter, in Exodus chapter 20. But in chapter 19, he addresses the Israelites through Moses and says to them, All the world is mine, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You remember that the Levites were priests within Israel. They were priests to the other tribes. But now God is telling all the tribes, all 12 of them, you are a kingdom of priests, all the world is mine, and you as a nation will exist among the nations in the world as my kingdom of priests. It was the job of the priests to teach the people about God and to lead the people in the worship of God to make God known and uh, to enable the people to, to praise and worship and serve God. Well, that job of the Levites with regard to the rest of the tribes is now transferred to all the tribes with respect to the world. And Peter is saying that didn't stop with Israel. Now this is true of the church. Church is the fulfillment of Israel, the new Israel. And we too are a kingdom of priests so that we might declare the wonders of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light, so that we might live such good lives before the world that they, they give praise to God in heaven. This is what hallowing God's name is all about, uh, getting to know him, serving him, and serving him in a way that will lead others people to, to know him and, and serve him as well. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're, we're asking God, help us to know you and help us to worship you or serve you and then help us to make you known. It's under those three headings we want to consider this uh, 
uh, petition of the Lord's Prayer this evening. First, help us to know you. To, uh, to hallow something means to uh, honor it, to uh, revere it, to respect it, to esteem it highly, to set it apart and treat it as special, as, as holy, as uh, not common and ordinary, but set apart for, for God. It's to recognize the high value of something and to treat it as it deserves. We're called to uh, keep the Lord's Day holy or to hallow the Sabbath day. That means we recognize that it's a day set apart for a special purpose, set apart for the worship of God. And uh, we need to come to understand that and then uh, uh, do what uh, it requires. Now, to hallow something, anything, you have to have to understand what it is. You know, sometimes we hear news stories about somebody who bought something in a garage sale for $5 and now it's uh, for sale at uh, Sotheby's in London and uh, expected to bring a price of $100 million, you know. Uh, why, did, why did the people who had the garage sale sell it for $5? Well, because they, they didn't know that it was special. They didn't know its value. And because they didn't know its value, they didn't treat it as special. They didn't hallow it. They didn't set it apart and say, uh, this over here we're selling for several hundred million dollars, you know. Uh, everything else is five dollars, but this is a million dollars. They didn't know it, and because they didn't know it, they didn't hallow it. And we won't hallow God's name unless we recognize how wonderful he is. Thus, this uh, petition asks uh, God to, to reveal his name to us and to to make uh, him, uh, his uh, name known to us. Now, when we talk about the name of God, we're not just talking about a, a few words that we use in direct address when speaking to God. Uh, God's name is much broader than just a few words. God's name is his reputation. You know, we might say of a certain person, uh, uh, he has a good name in the community. That doesn't mean that uh, everybody uh, uh, likes uh, the name that his parents picked at his birth. It means he has a good reputation. Uh, he has uh, a reputation, he's known for certain deeds, he's known for certain characteristics, and, and so he has a, a good name in the community. And hallowing God's name means uh, treating God himself special. Uh, his name is his reputation, and his name is synonymous with, with who he is. If we honor his name, we honor him. And so we're praying, give us eyes to, to see your glory in nature, for for the heaven declares your glory, and give us ears to hear and minds to understand uh, your glory in the gospel. Remember, the, uh, John, the gospel writer, says, uh, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They, they followed Jesus around for three years. They witnessed his miracles. They heard his teaching, and they saw glory. And uh, we're asking also now, God, show us your glory. Paul writes in Corinthians, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to experience. We want to, to see the, the light of the glory of God, and we want to see it in creation, and we want to see it in the, the face of Jesus Christ. But here we're praying for more than mere intellectual understanding. It's not just that we want to know about God, but, but help us to know you personally, God. Help us to, to experience your glory. You know, there's a, an interesting passage in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, where God says to, to Moses and the Israelites as uh, they are about to come out of, uh, 
out of uh, Egypt. They haven't yet come out, but he says, I'm going to reveal myself to you as Lord. And uh, he actually says, by my name, the Lord, uh, I have not been known before. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they didn't know me as Lord. And the first time I read that, I scratched my head and said, how can that be that they didn't, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know him as Lord? If you go back and, and look in the, the chapters that deal with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Genesis, the word Lord as a translation of the Hebrew Yahweh, the, the covenant name for God that's written in our English Bibles with uh, all capital letters, uh, the word Lord in all capital letters uh, that tells us that's Yahweh in Hebrew, that's the, the covenant name for God. It's used and Abraham and Isaac uh, uh, knew that that was one of God's names, but what God is saying to, to Moses is, you're going to experience that name. You're going to experience it in a way that, that your forefathers never knew that name. They, they were redeemed, to be sure, but, the, but they, you're going to be uh, experiencing this name in a new way. And it's, uh, what the name refers to is God uh, delivering us from slavery and uh, uh, delivering us through the blood of the Lamb and so forth. Uh, it's all about redemption. Uh, the covenant God is the, the redeemer God, and uh, he's going to take these people who are in bondage and in slavery, and he's going to bring them out by a mighty hand and a strong arm, by great signs and wonders, uh, and uh, they're going to be uh, delivered also by the blood of the Lamb and so forth, and God is going to dwell with them in a powerful new way, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never knew anything like that. And uh, so God is going to enable them to experience the fullness of the meaning of that name in a way that had never been experienced before. You're going to know me in a new and powerful, personal way. And that's what we should be praying for as well. There's a psalm, uh, Psalm 76, that is a psalm of praise to God after a great deliverance. Uh, the people of God had been subjugated and enslaved and oppressed, and God had come with a mighty hand and a strong arm and broken the bow of the oppressor and uh, uh, broken the spear and so forth. And uh, the psalmist begins by saying, in Judah, God is known. In Judah, God is known. They're, they're celebrating the fact that they've seen God act to deliver them, and now they really know him. Now they know him in a way that they had never known him before. In Judah, God is known, and, and they uh, uh, respond with this, this psalm of praise. And so we're, we're praying, O oh Lord, take the, the dimness of our soul away and, and shed abroad the light of your love. Turn our hearts to you, uh, the very thing that uh, God has uh, promised to do in answer to our prayers. We pray for uh, a transforming knowledge that uh, all we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the God may be transformed in to the same image from one degree of glory to another. May we recognize your majesty in creation, hear your voice in the scripture, know that you hate sin and sinners, rejoice in your love and mercy to us through Jesus, and may we see your good hand at work even in hard times. That's what we're praying for, to know him. You know, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ you have sent. Uh, Paul writes to the Galatians, formerly you did not know God. You were enslaved to those that are by nature not God. But now that you have come to know God, 
God has set you free. And again, Jesus said in John 8, uh, he said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're praying that we might come to know him. That's a great need in the world today. The knowledge of God uh, is becoming uh, uh, extinct among uh, people in our culture. There are uh, young people growing up in the United States of America that, that don't know the name of Jesus Christ as anything but something you say if you're, you're mad or you're hurt or something. Uh, you hit your thumb with a, uh, a hammer or something, and it's a, a curse word. That's all they know about him. And uh, so uh, we too need to pray, pray that we would come to know him so that uh, we can uh, recognize who he is and hallow him, treat him as special. But not only help us to know him, but help us, uh, help us to worship you. And by worship, I mean both corporate worship as well as our life of service that we offer up to God day by day, which is also uh, a kind of worship as well. Help us to bless, worship, and praise you for all your works and all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth, says the Catechism. You remember that the, the chief end of man, according to this Westminster Catechism, is to, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And uh, so uh, we need to offer up our lives to him in corporate worship and in individual service, that that might be our, our chief delight. Think of the words of the psalmist, you know, one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the courts of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Or Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my heart pants for you, O Lord. That psalm I mentioned earlier, Psalm 76, is it's a psalm of worship. It's the people of God coming together and worshiping God in response to God's great act of deliverance. And so when because he has delivered us, because we have seen his glory in the face of Jesus Christ, we've seen his grace and his majesty, uh, we too need to respond for worship. However, in order to worship aright, we need more than just warm hearts and good intentions. To, to worship him aright, we, we need to know his will. You know, one of the reasons we, we read the Ten Commandments and uh, preach through the commandments uh, once a year or so is so that we might be reminded what, what's good in God's sight. What does he want us to do? How does he want us to live? And with regard to corporate worship, it's the same. Uh, we may not come together as the people of God and just worship in any manner we, we like, we need to be guided by what God finds acceptable and what God uh, commands. You remember the, uh, the two sons of Aaron. Uh, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Uh, God had commanded incense, but only certain kinds of incense at certain times. And these two sons of Aaron thought, well, if a little incense is good, a lot of incense is better. So let's, let's add to what God has required and, and burn some more. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and, and killed those two men because they were worshiping in a way that had not been commanded. Remember when uh, David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem the first time, he, he and the Levites forgot how God had commanded, to the, commanded them to carry the Ark. 
they had rings on the four uh, corners of the top of the ark, and there were two poles that were supposed to go through those rings, and then the poles rested on the shoulders of the of the Levites in front and in back, and that's how you were supposed to move the Ark of the Covenant. But they had to go a long distance, and the, the Levites didn't want to work so hard, so they put it on a cart. Well, it was a bumpy road, and the uh, oxen stumbled, and the Ark looked like it was going to fall in the mud, and a man named Uzzah reached out his hand with good intentions to prevent the Ark of the Covenant from falling in the mud. That was against the law. Nobody was supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant, not even the Levites. They just could put the, the pole through the rings. That's as close as they could get to it. And God struck the man dead for touching the Ark of the Covenant, even though he had good intentions, even though David had good intentions. God makes clear to the Israelites that when they come into the land of Canaan, they're, they're not to look at the way that the peoples there worship their gods. Don't worship me that way. You worship me according to my commandments. Uh, the second uh, commandment of the Ten Commandments uh, says uh, that uh, we're to uh, not make any graven images, but instead God's blessing is on those who keep his commandments. And uh, we understand from that second commandment that, that the right, right way to worship God is according to his commandments. That's sometimes referred to as the the regulative principle of worship. This is one of the things that distinguished uh, Martin Luther from John Calvin. Uh, Martin Luther uh, took the approach toward worship that anything that was done by the Roman Catholic Church that the Bible did not forbid, it was okay to continue doing. If the Bible didn't condemn it, you could still do it. John Calvin said no. We're going to start from scratch and we're going to go to the scriptures and say, what does the Bible command us to do in worship? And reform worship is uh, therefore characterized by that regulative principle. We only worship according to God's commands or his obligatory examples or that which is uh, deduced by good and necessary consequence from that which he teaches. Uh, that is our guide for worship. And uh, it stands in opposition to uh, uh, worship as a matter of uh, tradition or culture. You know, one of the issues that missionaries struggle with is uh, when they go to a different culture, how much of that culture can they incorporate into the life of the church? Well, in our trip to uh, Ecuador last month, uh, we saw uh, the fruits of incorporating culture into worship. 500 years ago, the uh, the Roman Catholic Church arrived in Ecuador and in uh, other places of Latin America and uh, introduced the Christian faith, but also incorporated into the Christian faith a great deal of the pagan culture so that to such an extent that now the Roman Catholic Church is a basically a pagan church where God is not worshipped, uh, Christ is not worshipped, uh, Mary is the one who is, is worshipped. And it's all legalism, and it's uh, all uh, superstition. Uh, there's very little of anything that resembles uh, true Christianity because so much of the pagan culture has uh, been drawn into the church. In that regard, I, uh, I uh, was surprised but also delighted to see that uh, Reverend Landasari has uh, introduced psalm singing 
certainly not anything part of Latin American culture, uh, even among evangelical and Pentecostal churches. Uh, psalm singing is uh, not uh, done, but uh, he's introduced psalm singing. <laughs> the only uh, psalter that he has available with music uh, in Spanish is uh, the Genevan psalter. So they're singing Genevan tunes uh, and singing the psalms in worship. And I believe that's a good thing, because when, when God sent the Israelites into the land of Canaan, he gave them all kinds of rules that set them apart from everybody else. You know, their dietary laws and um, their, their, their festivals, their, their manner of worship, the temple worship and everything. There were so many things. You, you couldn't plant two kinds of seed together. You couldn't weave two kinds of fabric together. All kinds of little details about culture were set them apart from the rest of the, the ancient world because God says, you're my people and you're to have your own culture and your culture is to be built on what I say. And so uh, preserving ancient cultures ought not to be a, a priority among Christian missionaries as if we're somehow violating these people by separating them from their culture. God has a culture a culture for all his people throughout the world. And uh, we do well to uh, recognize that and practice that in our own lives as well and, and recognize that we live in a pagan culture and that it would be wrong for us to uh, incorporate into our worship and our service of God that which is uh, from uh, a pagan culture. And so uh, we, uh, we pray to God that he would uh, give us hearts uh, willing to learn what pleases him and to instruct us uh, daily. Help us to learn all your commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he told his disciples, go make this, his apostles, go make disciples and teach them to obey all my commandments, uh, both for corporate worship and for our daily individual lives. We want lives that, that reflect the fact that we recognize that God has, is holy, set apart, and we are a holy people set apart and are to live uh, a certain way according to how he has commanded us. So uh, help us to know you, help us to worship and serve you, and help us to worship and serve you so that we make you known. That's the third part of this prayer. Help us to know you, help us to worship you, and help us to make you known. Once, once you truly know God, you'll want others to come to know him as well. There's a, a horizontal nature to uh, honoring him. He says in Second and First Peter here, live such lives before the world that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus taught the same thing in Matthew 5, 14. Uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not that we want to boast about being better than other people, no, but we want other people to see God at work in us and be drawn to him. Now, this is not an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to, to mess up. Uh, God said to ancient Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. All the world is mine, and you're going to be a kingdom of priests. Uh, how'd that work out for them? Well, when the queen of Sheba came to King Solomon, it was working pretty well. <laughs> they were making God known in the world, and they were teaching the world about God and, and calling the people to, to worship God. But Solomon's reign was the exception, not the rule. Uh, more often than not, 
uh, they caused God's name to be blasphemed. Ezekiel 36 says, uh, you have blasphemed my name among the nations. And they did that by disobeying God and therefore God uh, punished them by letting other nations uh, defeat them in battle. And when other nations defeated them in battle, then the, those nations said, our God is greater than your God. Uh, sometimes even the, uh, the human generals said, uh, we're greater than your gods, your, your God, uh, Israel. And they uh, lifted themselves up in pride. And so they thought little of the God of Israel because Israel was being punished by their God. They misunderstood the nature of that punishment and they misunderstood God. When King David had his uh, affair with Bathsheba, Nathan uh, came to him and said, uh, by this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. By this deed, you have given the enemies of God great occasion to blaspheme. That happens every time a minister or an elder of the church falls into gross public sin. They cause the name of God to be blasphemed in the world. Those who are leaders in the church must be above reproach. They must have a good reputation with outsiders so that God's name is not blasphemed by them. But not just ministers and elders. Any evil habits you might have, any worldly speech, any covetous desire may cause God's name which you bear to be blasphemed. I don't know if I told you this story or not. I might have, but I, I'd like to tell it more than once uh, because there's always new people here uh, listening every time we meet. But uh, in the first church that I served, there was a, a young man, a married man, who was a soap salesman. And he was a good salesman. And part of his sales technique was always to tell a joke when he arrived at a place of business. He sold cleaning supplies to restaurants. Uh, I call him a soap salesman. But anyway, he called himself a soap salesman. Uh, but uh, the joke he usually told was a dirty joke, uh, an off-color joke. Uh, and uh, he uh, knew it would get a good laugh and create a good rapport. And then uh, he would uh, pitch his product and so forth. Well course of time he got elected deacon in the church and he had a crisis of conscience. He recognized that as a deacon and as a Christian he shouldn't be telling dirty jokes and so he stopped telling dirty jokes and uh, he continued to be a good salesman and one day I ran into one of his customers and this customer didn't know me and didn't know who I was or what I did but in the course of the conversation I said what church I was a member of and he said, oh, I know the minister of your church, which made me kind of uh, look a little uh, quizzical at him because I was the minister of the church and he didn't know me and he didn't know I was the minister of the church. But anyway, he thought he knew the minister of the church. And he says, yeah, he, he also works as a sales, soap salesman and, and, and sells to our restaurant. And uh, I thought, uh, wow, this... Uh, Deacon is doing a good job of uh, representing himself as a Christian in the world, and indeed he was. Uh, he recognized that his former life, he was causing God's name to be blasphemed, but now he had transformed his life, and uh, through repentance and faith in Christ, he had uh, gained strength to, to do the right thing, and he was bearing witness to Christ. So the people thought, actually thought he was a minister, which isn't strange in, in the southern Bible belt, because 
most of the churches are very small and most of the churches can't afford to pay a minister a good salary and so the ministers are, are bivocational. That's, that's quite common there. And, uh, and that's what this uh, guy thought uh, uh, this deacon was. He thought he was the, the minister of the church. Well, you need to examine your own life. What kind of impression are you making with your uh, habits and your speech and, and the way you live? Uh, the choices that you make for yourself, the kind of house you live in, and, and uh, the kind of life you live uh, in front of your neighbors. Uh, if we live selfishly and indifferent to suffering of the oppressed, uh, we give one impression. If we have a heart of compassion for the needy, we give an entirely different impression. Uh, our hearts should burn with love for God, and, and it should burn with love for those who bear his image. We need to remember uh, to honor God by highly valuing uh, human life, protect the unborn, care for the widow and the orphan, visit the sick and the needy, and uh, uh, help those who are uh, suffering. Uh, Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You know, to pray, hallowed be thy name, means help me to live in a way that shows forth the love of Christ in this world to those who are in need. We, we do our work every day to subdue the earth and bring glory to God through our daily labors, but also in our any other relationships and activities. We need to be honoring him so that people can see our good work and give praise to our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You know that... That petition offends some people. They think, do we have a, a, an egocentric God who, who has to be praised by, by everybody? Uh, is, he, is he like those gods in mythology that feed on the praise of the people and, and actually need that praise in order to get the energy to exist and so forth? Is that what's going on here? No, that's not it at all. Uh, God created us to know him and to love him and serve him because he knew that if we did get to know him and love and serve him, we would find the greatest joy in it. You know, my wife and I were privileged for nine years to live within a few hours' drive of the Rocky Mountains, and, and we went there quite frequently uh, during our stay in Canada. And uh, every time that we saw Lake Louise or Lake Moran or, or the Rocky Mountains, uh, Jasper and so forth, Every time we saw them, our, our hearts were thrilled to see the, the glory of the creation. Well, if, if the creation is glorious, and you don't have to go that far to see glorious creation, just a field of ripening corn is a, a glorious sight as well, but if, if the creation is glorious and thrills the heart and gives joy just to see it, how much more joyous and thrilling will it be to see the creator of it all? We were made for him and with hearts that have an affinity for him. And when we see him for who he is, uh, we can't help but be excited and, and, and joyous. That's why glorifying him and enjoying him forever are not two separate and distinct things where one is an onerous duty and the other is, uh, makes up for it by some little happiness that may be added in addition. You know, Glorifying him is the way that we enjoy him. May we see his glory and our hearts are thrilled. You know, one of the, uh, the joys of the, the trip to Ecuador was to meet uh, young men 
who had uh, come to the Reformed faith uh, as adults uh, after being raised in uh, a legalistic, uh, superstitious uh, religion of uh, Catholicism and so forth. And they had the, the zeal of a convert, you know. They were thrilled to, to learn the doctrines of grace, to, to learn uh, about total depravity and unconditional election and limited atonement and irresistible grace and the perseverance of the faith. It's, these doctrines were so dear and, and rich to them and they were excited about them and they're, they're eager now to train in order that they may share these, uh, this knowledge with, with others as well. And uh, the seminary training program there is equipping them to be pastors and teachers in Christ's church and they're so excited to be able to do it. Sadly, often those of us who have been raised in the faith and never known anything but the Reformed faith become a little blasé about it after a while, a little... Um, uh, too, too used to it and, and fail to uh, discover its, its richness. And, and so that's why we need to pray. Oh God, help me to know you. Help me, help me to know you well. Help me to see again your glory in all its fullness and wonder. And help me to worship you from the heart with joy and gladness. And help me to live a life that is attractive to others so that they come to know you. This is the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. This should be a priority in everyone's life. Christ saved you for this. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to know you, to love you and worship your right, and help us to move others to do the same. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.